on this edition of the Nonstop BS Podcast. Which team to this point has won the NFL free agency period and who are some of the most interesting names left on the open market along with what teams they may fit best with? Then we check in on our bracket and some of the most insane upsets that have taken place before Saturday's second round matchups along with the checking the national championship market and finish the episode with the best bets in the NBA, March Madness, and NASCAR heading into the weekend. All this and more on this Saturday morning edition of Nonstop BS. Are you sick and tired of listening to the legacy media speak repetitively on the same teams, topics, ideas, themes, and players every day? Nonstop BS is a podcast that will give you topics and thoughts about the NFL, NBA, college sports, NASCAR, and others with a deeper vision into why things happen the way they do around the world of sports. There are so many lazy takes from all your favorite media personalities that frustrate you and me every day when we turn on our television or phone. Whether it has to do with politics and sports, promoting big brands, and ridding topics of context just to sway the listener's opinion. I, for one, am sick and tired of this type of sports media, and that's why I'm bringing you Nonstop BS. Nonstop BS will dig deep into the why things happen in our favorite sports leagues, creating interesting conversation along with making me and you a smarter, more insightful, broad-thinking sports fan. Not to mention, I will give you betting picks for multiple leagues using our new way of thinking about the world of sports and having a little bit of fun with it, along with maybe putting some money in our wallets. So if this sounds like something you've been craving when tirelessly listening to people shout at you about how wrong you are from all of your favorite sports media outlets, then make sure you tune in with me, Cole Lynchhead, and take the journey of these fantastic seasons we are gifted to enjoy for entertainment with me on Nonstop BS. What's up, everyone? Welcome into Nonstop BS on this Saturday morning. Uh, coming to you a little bit later than normal. Usually we record on Friday night, post on Saturday, but due to um, some internet issues and uh, St. Patrick's Day, all of that combined uh, last night, we're getting the episode out a little bit late. But I think most of you guys listen from what my uh, stats that I've read say on Saturday and Sunday anyway, so it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but I do apologize um, for the issues. Um, today on the show... A lot of March Madness to get into, some more NFL free agency, a lot more people signed, Um, and so we're going to get into that. We're going to give you guys some bets for the NBA this coming weekend, um, and obviously the NASCAR race at Atlanta Motor Speedway, the Ambetter Health 400. So, where will we start today? We will start with free agency. Um, So, there was a lot of moves you know, that have obviously happened over the last few days since we've talked last. Um, but, you know, this is the kind of the the more dead time, I'd say, in free agency where there's a lot of moves um, that, that are just kind of, you know, role-playing people, uh, not 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 the headline moves very much. There have been some, um, including some big defensive players going back to their teams, um, an offensive lineman who got... Uh, uh, big, massive contract from a contender. So we'll go over some of those, but um, you know, I'm just going to kind of give you guys the headlines and we'll check up where we're at and with, uh, with free agents that are still available and where I think some of their best fits are. We'll also look at a couple of guys that I had talked about in a, uh, last week that I um, thought were super interesting and to see where they go and gave some predictions. And we'll, So we'll check in on those guys and see where they ended up, the ones that have been signed to this point as well. Want to mention before we get into the free agency talk, though, if you guys are not following the show yet on all of, on any of any platforms, please do subscribe um, and and rate and review. I would really appreciate that. Um, and uh, if you have not told any friends or anyone, um, that that would be greatly appreciated as well. Spread the word about Nonstop BS. Um, you can also follow the show on Twitter at Nonstop BS Pod, along with me at Lynchide Cole on Twitter. Um, okay. So, starting out today, um, two questions that we're going to ask So, in, in the beginning here of free agency are teams that have the, had the best free agency period so far and teams that have improved the most in free agency early on. Um, so, to me, the, that's, there's been some teams, obviously, that there's, always, there's always teams that have all the cap space in the world, and 
you hear about them and that they they've won free agency. They've they've spent the most money in free agency. They've brought in the most players. That usually is not the most beneficial way to build a roster. So those teams usually are the ones who get the most hype coming into the um, the draft and, and in this point of the offseason, but they're not the ones who necessarily win free agency in my mind. Um, sometimes doing the, doing the least is actually um, the best thing to do. Sometimes re-signing your own players, bringing back the most of your own players, the, mo- the most amount, the biggest amount of your own players is the best thing you can do. Um, it, it's always different, but I, I find it very rare that the team that spends the most money and, and, and brings in the most top big, big names that are available on the market. Um, I find it very rare that those are the teams that typically win free agency in the grand scheme of things when the season starts and you see how those players usually play, um, when they get in a new, a new setting and, and around new teammates. And usually those teams are not very good who have a, the most amount of cap space. So when I say teams that have had the best free agency periods, um, it does not necessarily, it's going to kind of surprise some people based on what you typically would hear uh, when you're watching other sports media and, and wherever else you get your content from. Um, the team that I think so far has had the best free agency period is the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, what the Eagles have done this offseason, I think is going very under the radar. Um you know, this was one of the best-built teams in the NFL. This is the best-built team in the NFL coming into last year. When you talk about Jalen Hurts on his on his rookie contract and having the faith and building a roster around, having the faith in your young quarterback and building a roster around him that gives him every opportunity to succeed. You know, I've already talked about this a ton, but the Eagles are such a well-ran franchise. They do things and pull off moves that other franchises dream of doing. Um, and, and then this offseason, you know, the popular take on the Philadelphia Eagles and, and what most people have been saying about them is it's going to be impossible to keep this roster together. They had a lot of one-year contracts last year, a lot of big-name free agents, a lot of trades that they made for guys on the final year of their contract who are all going to be free agents. You know, you looked at the top on NFL.com, you looked at the top 100 free agents, top 101 free agent list, and, and three of the top five are Philadelphia Eagles. So, you know, the Eagles had a lot of opportunity to regress coming into free agency. And I think what they've done has been super impressive. So just to update you, if you have not been paying attention to the Eagles, um, they had multiple, multiple starters that were free agents, including Javon Hargrave, uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, um, uh, you know, um, Fletcher Cox, TJ Edwards, linebacker, Kazir White, linebacker. Um, and, and many more, you know, James Bradbury is another one. And I think what they have done with the depth on their roster, you know, a a lot of, a lot of guys that didn't even play last year that, 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 that they have and, and that they have on really cheap contracts. Um, I think what they've done has been really impressive. So to give you a rundown, the Eagles players that they have re-signed this off season are, um, Boston Scott came back, running back, on a one-year contract worth $2 million. Jason Kelsey announced he was not retiring, and the Eagles re-signed him to a one-year $14 million contract. Fletcher Cox uh, re-signed on a one-year $10 million contract. Brandon Graham re-signed on a one-year $6 million contract, worth up to $6 million. Uh, James Bradbury re-signed on a three-year $38 million contract with $20 million guaranteed. Um and Darius Slay agreed to a three-year, $42 million contract uh, with $23 million guaranteed. So both of their starting corners, one of their rotational and, and best edge rushers, uh, Fletcher Cox, who is still one of the better defensive linemen in the NFL, not what he once was, but still a really good defensive lineman. Jason Kelsey, one of the best centers in the NFL, even at his age. And then Boston Scott, a really important piece, rotational piece on their offense, all brought back players that they um, that the Eagles have let get away though in free agency include T.J. Edwards, Javon Hargrave, um, and and Kazir White, along with Andre Dillard, um, the offensive tackle for, that the Eagles drafted four years back. So the thing about the Philadelphia Eagles though is you know letting Javon Hargrave get away. You know, typically that'd be awful. I mean, Javon Hargrave had over 10 sacks last year. He was one of the best uh, pass-rushing interior linemen in the NFL, if not the best. 
Um, you know, he really excelled with the Eagles. TJ Edwards is a guy who improved every single year and had a really good year for Philadelphia last year. Cause you're white was a great free agent signing, um, started over their third round pick, uh, Nicobe Dean last year. But, but that's just kind of it right there. The Eagles have so many players that they drafted with high picks and have a lot of hope for. And, and I, I thought personally were really good draft picks who didn't even play significant roles last year because this team was so deep. So when you have a team that is as deep as the Eagles were last year, you can allow you can allow these players to get away in free agency and really not take nearly the hit at, that most teams uh, typically would. So, for example, Javon Hargrave signs a four-year contract for $84 million with the 49ers, as we talked about on Tuesday, on Wednesday morning. Um, the Eagles have uh, Jordan Davis, who they drafted with the uh, 11th overall pick last in last year's draft, uh, was hurt, played really good in the beginning of the season before he got hurt. He's going to fill that role perfectly. They also, like I said, bring back Fletcher Cox. So interior defensive lineman takes a minor hit at, at worst. N'Kobe Dean's going to take one of the starting linebacker roles um, that were lost by Kazir White and TJ Edwards. And in the secondary, C.J. Gardner-Johnson is the only one who got away, in which they also have Reed Blankenship, who played really good for them, and fourth-round pick Kevon Wallace um, already on their roster. But the Eagles also have moved around so much of their money and stuff that they're going to have more room to spend money, and they've, had, they've signed really smart contracts, too. A player that they brought in, Rashad Penny, they signed for a one-year deal worth $1.3 million. I mean, for what running backs are going for right now, um, which is not even very much. Rashad Penny, that might be the best value of any running back that's been signed to this point. You got a lot of guys like Alexander Madison, um, you know, Dante Foreman by the Eagles, uh, James Robinson, um, and multiple other other running backs that are have had much slimmer um, versions of success in the NFL than Rashad Penny has that are signing for two to four million dollars a year. Meanwhile, Rashad Penny gets a one-year, $1.3 million contract to come play behind one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Um, also, Kenneth Gainwell. That, that's another, because I'm, I'm talking here and I'm remembering, Miles Sanders is another free agent that the Eagles let walk. Kenneth Gainwell is a guy who also played really well for the Eagles last year. And uh, so between Rashad Penny and Kenneth Gainwell now, they still have a, real, a, a good one-two punch at running back. And I don't think they're done there either. Uh, Isaac Suomelo is their offensive guard that they still have not re-signed. He's still a free agent as we speak right now. Um, so that's kind of the whole landscape of the Eagles to this point. Um, listen, this is a team that has the 10th overall pick and the 31st overall pick or the 30th overall pick in the draft also. Okay. Like the Eagles have a lot of capital that they still can spend and a lot of draft capital that they can use to fill these few positions that they have um, that, that are concerning. And they have draft picks in almost every single area of, of players that they've, that they've lost to this point. Cam Jurgens is another example of that. Second-round pick last year that I think they have high hopes for to fill Isaiah, Isaac Suomelo's position uh, at right guard. So, I mean, the Eagles are still one of the deepest rosters in the NFL, even with the losses they've taken. They've brought back, like I said, the key players um, to the team that, that they really needed to. Um, and, and their positions of their specialty positions are still completely full. Phil, uh, when you talk about pass rusher, Hassan Reddick, Josh, Josh Sweat, still under contract, uh, offensive line, they bring back Jason Kelsey. Like I said, Jordan Malata is still under contract. Lane Johnson has not said he's retiring to this point. Landon Dickerson, um, um, offensive line still pretty much completely intact. Uh, wide receivers, obviously, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Uh, Jalen Hurts going to sign a massive contract here before the end of the year. And Dallas Goddard's already under a, a big contract and uh, signed for the re year. The Eagles are still one of the deepest teams in the NFL, and they have two first-round picks coming into the draft. I would not be surprised if they try to, like I talked about uh, last episode, go after Bajan Robinson with that first first-round pick possibly even trade down if they think they're still going to be able to get him at a huge playmaker to their offense, not only at the running back position, but also as a receiver. Um, and then with their last first round pick, I think it would be not shocking at all for them to draft another edge rusher uh, to eventually replace uh, Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett, who's been kind of a uh, a failed draft pick. Uh, not, not a bust completely, but just has not really worked out to be in a first round pick. Uh, but anyways, dr drafting a edge rusher late in the first round uh, to fill that, or possibly even a linebacker alongside of Nicobe Dean and uh, 
and Hassan Reddick to fill TJ Edwards' position. Um, if they do that right there, this team is still the best roster in the NFL, hands down. So, you know, A-plus to the Eagles um, for what they've done, the people that they've been able to bring back. This team is definitely not... Uh, they're definitely not giving up on this next season. Definitely not going to be cutting a lot of their big-name players and their aging players, and they're definitely going all in. I would not be surprised either in the middle of the year to see them be aggressive again and make a big trade for another player. Uh, super impressive what the Eagles have done. Okay, the team that I think has improved the most from free agency early on, so this is a little bit different. You know, The Eagles kind of just stayed status quo. They were the best team in the NFL last year. And they probably still are the best team in the NFL coming into this season. But but the team that I think has made the most big improvements, and you can look at it and say, I mean, it, it they've made the 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 biggest strides from their signings, made smart signings, is the Denver Broncos. Um, with Russell Wilson last year, it was obviously not great. And when you bring in a guy like Sean Payton. Um, you, you obviously are expecting massive improvement. Well, Sean Payton also knows what how to be aggressive in free agency, but not completely handicap yourself. He did it with the Saints for years. The Saints were always tied up against the cap, but they were always still somehow able to bring in players that they needed to fill positions uh, that they were weak at. Well, one of the weaknesses of the Broncos last year was the offensive line. Uh, Broncos signed Ben Powers, offensive guard or offensive guard for the um, uh, Baltimore Ravens last year to a four-year, fifty-two million dollar deal, includes twenty-eight million in guarantees, uh, and then they also bring in offensive tackle Mike McGlinchey on a five-year, eighty-seven point five million dollar contract worth or that has fifty million in guarantees over the over the the whole contract. Um, two massive pieces for a Russell Wilson offense. Uh, Russell Wilson, as, as he's aged, is not nearly as mobile as he once was. Um, that obviously was clear last year. So uh, protection is going to be super key. And I think for Sean Payton to identify that, um, he can obviously relate with the Saints. They always had a fantastic offensive line. And that, that's where they kind of spent a lot of their money on offense. Um, that's super important. And I think that that's going to benefit the Broncos a lot. They also bring in Zach Allen on a three-year contract worth $46 million defensive tackle for the um, Arizona Cardinals last year with $32.5 million in guarantees um, and replaced basically Draymond Jones, who they lost in free agency, uh, with Zach Allen, who Zach Allen was a really good player for the Cardinals over the last couple seasons um, and, and really just never hit his ceiling because the Cardinals defense did not have very much talent on it, especially last year. So some really important pieces that they bring in on their offensive and defensive lines. I, honestly, I think when you look at their uh, the lines, offensive and defensively for the Broncos at this point, they're they're some of the best in the NFL. And to me, that usually leads to um, the the teams that are the most successful. Obviously, when you look at the 49ers and the Eagles last year, two teams that had question marks at quarterback coming into the season turned out to be the best rosters in the NFL. Well, they also had the best offensive and defensive lines in the NFL. Um, the Broncos now have Garrett Bowles at offensive tack at left tackle, Ben Powers at left guard, Lloyd Cushenberry at center, which is probably the weakest part of their their line. Quinn Myers, who's been awesome at right guard, um, and Mike McGlinchey at right tackle. That's that's at least an, a B plus, at least a B plus. Um, their defensive line, they still have DJ Jones, Jonathan Harris, and now Zach Allen, um, along with Mike Purcell, who's been a really good rotational uh, nose tackle for them. So, you know, both of these lines, both their lines are very good. I think the Broncos still need to add a uh, pass rusher, and I think that that's probably what they're going to be trying to do in the draft to go alongside Randy Gregory. Um, obviously, they need improvement out of him as well. But, you know, bringing in, beefing up the offensive and defensive line for the Broncos. This is already a really good roster, uh, really good secondary, really good wide receivers, uh, a good running back in Javante Williams. Another key signing for them was bringing in Samaje Pirine, um, who I think is going to be a great complement to Javante Williams. Um, the Broncos have done a lot of really good things. They've identified some positions that they needed to get better at, and they went out and aggressively got some of the best players at those positions in free agency without completely handicapping the, the franchise. So um, I think Sean Payton's done a good job early on here, and we'll see what he does in the draft. But the Broncos are going to be 
um, a team that you ha- you need to keep your eye on for being um, one of the most improved teams going into the season. Some players that are still on the open market that I think um, are the most interesting still, and I'll give you the some team fits that I think make a lot of sense for them. Um, starting out, you know, this one's obviously the most popularized, and I've been really annoyed with having to listen to a lot of the um, stuff that's gone on with this player over the whole last year and a half, and that's Odell Beckham Jr. Um, f- maybe he's finally going to sign with the team, though. I just, I could see Odell, I could see Odell, he, you know, he's been in the news a lot lately. He had his workout that a lot of teams came and attended. Apparently, he looked really good. I just, I think Odell wants more money than any team is really willing to give him at this stage of his career with the significant injuries that he's had over the past five five years. And I could see him waiting until a team is completely completely desperate to give him way more money than he's worth. So this one still may take a while, but he's obviously one of the most interesting free agents still out there. Some team fits that I think do make sense for him, though. The Jets. Now, obviously he was on Aaron Rodgers' uh, list of players that he, his, basically his wish list that he sent to the Jets. Um, and that's why this one makes the most sense. The Jets already have quite a few good receivers. Uh, when you talk about Garrett Wilson, they just signed Alan Lazard to a four-year contract. Um, they still have Corey Davis, uh, who's you know all right. Um, and they still have Elijah Moore, too, who I think is one of the most underrated receivers in the NFL and just has not had a lot of opportunity to this point. We'll see if he still wants to stick around in New York because of his frustrations last year or if he's going to demand a trade here as the offseason goes on and the wide receiver market kind of quiets down. Um, But I think that's going to be interesting to see what happens with Elijah Moore, what his role would be, Um, because I don't know if he would fit if they did sign Odell. Um, So if they want Elijah Moore and and they can kind of mend the the, the, uh, fences with (laughs) with Elijah Moore, um, then maybe this doesn't happen. But, you know, because because it's Aaron Rodgers' wish, it's definitely a possibility. And it would make the Jets a much better team <laughs> if they did get Odell Beckham. Their receivers would be, to me, pretty ridiculous uh, when you talk about Garrett Wilson, uh, Odell Beckham, and Alan Lazard. I think Garrett Wilson is one of the... Um, I think by the end of this season, Garrett Wilson is going to be known as easily a top 10 receiver in the NFL and possibly top 5. I think he's that type of talent. So another one that makes sense for Odell is the Minnesota Vikings. Um, Vikings lose Adam Thielen to free agency. They still have KJ Osborne and promising rookie six round pick Jalen Naylor, um, alongside Justin Jefferson. But really the Vikings are going to be looking for another receiver, whether it's at this point of free agency or in the draft. I've talked about that already. Odell Beckham had one of his best, uh, parts of the season in recent history, uh, with the Rams and with Kevin in Kevin O'Connell's offense. Um, so he's got relationship there. And he's great friends with Justin Jefferson, too, from their time at LSU. And Odell has always stayed really connected with LSU, um, even through Jefferson's career there. So him and Odell have always had a relationship as well. It just there's a lot of things that make sense there. And the Vikings have uh, the cap space with with a lot of players that they've let go um, that they'd be able to afford Odell Beckham. So um, the only other thing that I could see being possible for Odell is a a Falcons with if if. If stuff changes a lot, and if because I think Lamar Jackson's biggest, I think Lamar Jackson's best fit, and the team that has the most, um, the highest likelihood of trading for him, if if the reports that have came out uh, are incorrect, are the Atlanta Falcons. Um, if Lamar goes to the Falcons, I could see Odell Beckham going alongside Drake London uh, to give Lamar a one-two punch. That would be. Uh, really good. So that one's kind of a big what if, but that's another uh, thought that I had uh, as far as Odo Beckham is concerned. He's not going somewhere that's not going to be a contender. That's for sure. The Jets only if Aaron Rodgers ends up actually going there and the Falcons is only a consideration if Lamar ends up with Atlanta. Um, Another free agent that is interesting is Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who we talked about. um, Eagle safety last year. Um, The Bengals, I think, are a really good fit for him. Uh, He's a versatile safety, and that's a position of need for the Bengals as they just lost both their safeties. Um, So I think he could fill the role of Jesse Bates really good for them. Um, It's really one of the only 
key pieces on defense that the Bengals are missing at this point. And, uh, you know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, again, is a guy who I think at this point in his career is going to try to uh, sign with a a contender, especially if he's not getting what he wants on the open market, which is what it sounds like. Um, But another fit, I feel like, is the Giants, uh, who also still need a lot of secondary help, even though they have brought in a little bit. Um, I think that's one of their... I think... I think the that's one of the key positions that the Giants are still looking at in free agency. Um, Dalton Schultz is another guy that's still on the open market. I talked about Mike Gusecki before, and uh, I said that he'd be a really good fit for the Texans, who are going to be drafting most likely either Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud uh, in the draft. A tight end always helps out, and the Texans are pretty weak at tight end. Mike Gusecki got um, signed by the Patriots to a one-year deal, so Dalton Schultz is clearly... I think he was before too, but he's clearly the best tight end on the market still. I think the Texans make a lot of sense for him. And I I think another team that makes sense for Dalton Schultz um, is the Green Bay Packers, who recently lost uh, lost out Robert Tanyan, who who signed with the Bears um, on Friday. Um, And then, and, 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 you know, Jordan Love, another young quarterback who's going to be starting his first full season, getting a guy like Dalton Schultz in to go along with Christian Watson would be. Um, really, really good for your young quarterback. So I think that makes a lot of sense also. And the Packers, if the Aaron Rodgers trade goes through, um, would have a lot of cap space to be able to sign a guy like Dalton Schultz. Um, then the last one I'm going to revisit who I talked about earlier on is DJ Chark. Um, Chark's still on the open market. He probably has the highest upside of any wide receiver still out there. I mean, you could say Odell Beckham, of course, but of of... I think DJ Chark at this stage of his career still has an upside that's similar to an Odell Beckham, um, what Odell Beckham could bring you at this stage of Odell's career. Uh, I think fits for DJ Chark right now are the Vikings, the Chiefs, and the Bills. Uh, The Bills just got rid of Isaiah McKenzie. They still have Diggs and uh, Gabriel Davis, but they're going to be looking for another guy who can stretch the field alongside Diggs. I think Chark has the best ability to stretch the field of any receiver that was out there and that currently is out there on the open market. So um, that'd be one to watch along with the Chiefs who are most likely losing or most likely letting Mike Miko Hardman walk. Uh, Juju just signed with the New England Patriots. Um, so they're definitely going to be looking for another receiver to go alongside Kadarius Toney and, uh, and uh, Sky Moore that has some size and some stretch the field ability, obviously with Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. Chark, if they can get him at a discount, I, I would not be surprised to see the Chiefs uh, bring in former early second round pick DJ Chark, who has a ton of upside. And then the Vikings as well, who I predicted Chark to earlier um, as one of the teams that he would make sense with. A lot of the same reasons as Odell Beckham. The The Vikings are going to be looking for, or the Vikings are looking for a guy to replace Adam Thielen and to be uh, a one-two punch with Justin Jefferson. Chark also went to LSU, has a relationship with Justin Jefferson. Um not that that matters a ton, but I think it, it kind of does. I think Justin Jefferson has a lot of power and a lot of pull uh, with Kevin O'Connell and the Vikings at this point. So, um, you know, Chark played with Jefferson. I, I could see Chark uh, signing there for multiple, multiple reasons. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really, um, really interesting to see who gives him a, a, a chance because I think Chark could turn... I think Chark could turn into one of the best value signings in all free agency, as I've said before. Um, some guys that I had talked about in earlier episodes um, are or include uh, Byron Murphy, cornerback, formerly of the Cardinals, Mike Gusecki, tight end, formerly of the Miami Dolphins, Chark, obviously, Arden Key, um, formerly of the 49ers, and then Damian Harris of the Patriots. Uh, Damian Harris and DJ Chark, as I just talked about, are still free agents, still out there. But Arden Key signed a deal with the Tennessee Titans. Um, I, I had predicted the teams that I uh, fit him with, said that he that said that he was the best fit with, are the Bears and Seahawks. Um, I think the Titans, though, that, that one makes a lot of sense as well. Arden Key um, will give them a versatile pass rusher, and that's something the Titans need. They've had a lot of injuries along their um, along their edges, and they also got rid of Bud Dupree this offseason, so he should fill that role a lot better. He's still pretty young, um, so he's going to have a real a opportunity to um, finally have a role where he's kind of the premier guy uh, with the Titans. Uh, Mike Gusecki, I obviously had said makes sense with the Texans, as I just talked about. He signed with the Patriots. 
Um, Patriots traded Janu Smith, so now they're going to go with Hunter Henry and Mike Gusecki at tight end. Um, and, and, you know, that it just makes a lot of sense for the Patriots. They needed to improve in every way their skill positions on, on offense. Um, so Gusecki is somebody who's going to do that, and they got him for pretty cheap as well um, for, for under $8 million on a one-year deal. Byron Murphy... Um, I had him, I, I said that he would fit with the Vikings, Giants, or Raiders. Byron Murphy signed a three-year, con- or a two-year contract with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, this makes a ton of sense. The Vikings let Patrick Peterson walk in free agency. Um, they released Cameron Dantzler, uh, a third-round pick from three years ago. And they also have still not re-signed Duke Shelley, who played a significant role for them last year, along with Chandon Sullivan, who didn't, who played a significant role with them last year. Um, Byron Murphy's a guy with a ton of upside, improved every single year that he was with the Cardinals on even on weaker and weaker defenses every season. That's usually a sign of a guy who is progressing and who can go somewhere else and I think progress even more. So I love that signing a lot for the Vikings, uh, as that's the only one that I've gotten right at this point, um, from my, from my fits that I had. So, okay, we will now move on. Um, so, you know, Wrapping up the NFL really quick before I do move on, a lot of guys that are still out there, a lot of interesting stuff still happening in free agency, and uh, and and I think there's going to be some significant moves to come also via trade that we're not even thinking of at this point. So we'll cover all that uh, on future episodes, but um, really fun, obviously, to this point. A lot of movement, a lot of different guys going different places. Still on Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson watch, but I am getting exhausted from talking about that at this point, so... Uh, it's kind of growing stale, and we'll we'll talk about it more when something actually happens along those lines. Okay, let's move on into March Madness. Um, crazy games on Thursday and Friday. Crazy, crazy games. Crazy results. A lot of upsets. Um, I feel like every single year there's more and more upsets and more uh, teams that shock the world, basically, and go on these, these runs that... that really draw more fans and new fans into college basketball and into that, at least this tournament every single year. Um, and so, uh, like I said, there was a ton of them. It started on Thursday when um, one of the first games that, that there were, um, Virginia took on um, Furman University. Uh, Virginia was a four seed, Furman the 13 seed, and Furman beat them after a steal and a last-second buzzer beater. Uh, beat them by one point, insane ending to the game. Um, and then there, later on that day, the 15-seeded Princeton uh, took down number two, Arizona. Arizona was a lot of people's favorites to win the tournament. Um, and not a, not a team that I thought had a lot of vulnerability. Um, so that one shocked me for sure. And then it obviously continued into yesterday when the 16-seeded fairly Dickinson beat Purdue in the first round. Um, insane, insane matchups, insane results, and it's gonna it caused some pretty crazy stuff to happen. Obviously, in the national championship market, with a lot of the the favorites completely out of it already in the first round. So, we'll check in on the futures. We'll check in on my bra- uh, the bracket that I gave out and see who's left. Um, and if you guys were following along with that, obviously that'll be interesting for you. So, of my elite eight that I have in my bracket. Um, I have six of the eight that are remaining in the tournament. Um, of my final four, I have three out of four remaining. Um, so right now, matchups, the, the, the lead eight that I have are Alabama and Creighton. Alabama won their first game against AM, uh, Corpus Christi, 96 to 75. Um, Creighton won their first matchup against NC State, 72 to 63. Uh, Alabama plays Maryland. Um, on Saturday, and then Creighton plays Baylor, uh, six-seeded Creighton, three, Creighton three-seeded Baylor on Sunday. Um, in the in the East region, so that was the that was the South region. Region. This is the East region. In the East region, I had Memphis, eight-seeded Memphis, taking on the two-seeded Marquette. Memphis lost their first game against FAU, sixty-six to sixty-five on Friday night. Uh, another last second heartbreaker with some crazy stuff that happened in that game. Um, Memphis, uh, had a player get hurt and 
Um, then their center fouled out of the game. There was a lot of frustration and a, almost a fight that occurred on the sideline for Memphis. Um, at this point, they had a four-point lead. Uh, they then at the they then let up a couple massive shots to FAU and and had a couple turnovers that were killer. And then FAU finished the game by getting a turnover with five seconds remaining and uh, hitting a layup uh, with just under just under three seconds remaining um, to go up by one point. Uh, and then Memphis tried to drive down with no timeouts left and shoot what they could at half court, uh, and they didn't even get it off in time. So a heartbreaker there. Um, and then I also have Marquette, who won their first game against Vermont, 78-61. to The uh, Marquette plays Michigan State on Sunday. Um, in the 2-7 game. In the uh, West region, I had Kansas and UCLA. Kansas won a commanding, uh, had a commanding win against Howard, 96-68. And then UCLA beat UNCA with also a commanding win, 86-53. UCLA will play Northwestern today on Saturday, and Kansas will take on Arkansas um, on on Saturday. So uh, still good in that region. And then also, the other one that I have, did not uh, get correct already is I had Houston against Texas A&M in the Midwest region. Houston won 63-52 to uh, against NKU, Northern Kentucky, and uh, uh, Texas A&M lost to Penn State 76-59. to I'll tell you what, Penn State is going to be a team, and they showed this in the Big Ten tournament as well, they're going to be a team to watch out for. They take on Texas uh, today. Um, on Saturday in 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 the ten versus two seeded game in the Midwest region, and Houston will play Alabama on Saturday. So, uh, still doing pretty good. The final four I had were Alabama, Memphis, and Houston, UCLA. Um, so Memphis, the only one I'm missing there, and then I have Alabama and Houston in the championship with Alabama winning. Um, so still good on that. So brackets looking pretty good. Um, doing pretty good in the pools that I'm in. So. Um, Hopefully that continues, and hopefully our futures also continue. So, futures that I gave out on the show um, on, on Wednesday were Creighton, Indiana, Alabama, UCLA, and Memphis to win the national championship. Obviously, the only one that is not still alive is Memphis. Um, so, now I'm going to revisit uh, the, the national championship betting odds uh, with a lot of the results that took on this took place this weekend. Um Alabama sits as the favorite now at plus 500. Houston as 7 to 1. Uh Texas 10 to 1. UCLA is 10 to 1. Uh Duke 12 to 1. Kansas and Connecticut and Yukon are 13 to 1. Gonzaga 15 to 1. Marquette 17 to 1. Creighton uh and Baylor also are 17 to 1. Kentucky's 25 to 1. San Diego State and Tennessee are 30 to 1. Indiana, Xavier 40 to 1, FAU 45 to 1. I am in Illinois, so my sports book does not have Northwestern's odds. Um, but so I'm not 100% sure what theirs are, but those are the gist of um, most of the teams that realistically could win it, all the ones that are under 50 to 1. Um, actually, I'm going to give you the 50 to 1s too, because I, there's one that I think is really interesting uh, that are 50 to 1 Michigan State, St. Mary's, Kansas State, and TCU, all at 50 to 1. Um, if I was going to lay a bet at this point without the ones that the few, the bets that I've already placed, um, on the national championship market, there are two teams that I think are being completely undervalued still to this point, um, in the current market. The first one that I think is really interesting at 50 to one is Michigan state. Okay. Michigan state is the seventh seed in the East region. Um, they take on Marquette on Sunday. If they beat Marquette, they have Kansas State or or Kentucky, who are also playing today, uh, Duke, Tennessee, and Far- Farley FDU, Farley Dickinson University, um, and Florida Atlantic in their region left. Okay, Michigan State's not going to be a massive underdog, or or or, or they're going to be favored. They're going to be an underdog, uh, a short underdog, or a favorite in every single one of those games after Marquette. Um, Michigan State had an awesome win against USC, 72-62, to in a game that they had control of for mostly the whole game, especially the whole second half. Um, Michigan State's beaten a lot of really good teams in the Big Ten this year, too, um, and had a really good year, kind of flew under the radar for a lot of the year. 
Uh, I just I think they have with Memphis and Purdue losing in their region. I think they have one of the easiest walks to the um, to the Final Four of any of these kind of mid mid seeded teams left. Um, I think those were their biggest contenders. I already kind of thought they were uh, a, a interesting underdog before. Um, obviously, those two teams lost in their region. But I just think that that's a vulnerable region at this point. And for them to be 50 to 1, it's not that they're, I don't think they're going to, I don't think they should be the favorite to win that region. But I think that them at 50 to 1 is just a crazy price. And I also want to point out if you go to, you can bet region regions as well, regional outrights. Michigan State right now in, in their region are 10 to 1 to win their region. Um, Duke's the favorite at, at two plus two fifty, Marquette plus three fifty, Kentucky five to one, Tennessee five to one, FAU is plus six fifty, and Kansas State is nine to one. And then Michigan State ten to one, and Farley Dickinson is hundred fifty to one. Okay, I, I I just don't see Michigan State being that much of a different difference. Um, I don't I don't see them being that different than Kansas State and FAU uh, in talent. And 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 in in just how how strong of a team they are, they have probably a better coach than any of these teams, these other teams in their region. Um, I think that uh, Michigan State is a really good bet, whether you want to bet them to win their region or if you want to bet them at fifty to one. I think that's still a really good price for them to win uh, the national championship. We've seen some crazier things happen than a Michigan State team with Tom Izzo making it all the way and winning the championship in a vulnerable region, so and in an easier path than I thought that they were going to have. Um, my other favorite bet that's still available right now to win the national championship, if you have not made a bet at this point, this is exclusively if you have not followed along with my bets or made bets already in this in in the the tournament. Um, if it, <laughs> UCLA is a team that I think might do the whole thing. And I know they're missing their best player. I know that they've had, you know, some issues and stuff uh, before the tournament started, but man, did they look strong in that first game. And and they looked really strong, honestly, against Arizona in their in their uh, conference championship game as well. I think UCLA is going to match up really good against Kansas if that's what ends up happening. Um, and uh, so U- UCLA at 10-1, to 1, I just, I don't see much of a difference between them and and these other top teams in Alabama and Texas and 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 Houston, um, I think they're I think they're probably the second best team at this point. As with how teams have been playing lately, I think UCLA is probably the second best team um, to Alabama in the whole tournament. So UCLA at ten to one, I think you're still getting a discount because of of the injuries that they have, and I think that's a really really good price, a really intriguing price. Uh, if, if you want to try to get a team that has a really realistic shot to win the tournament, um, at a good price, UCLA at 10 to one, um, I will not be betting that because I already have a 15 to one on them to win it. So, um, but, but like I said, if you have not made a bet yet, that is another really good price that I would be watching. Okay. I'm going to take a break here really quick and we will be back with our best bets heading into the weekend in college basketball, the NBA and NASCAR. Here on Nonstop BS. All right, we're gonna finish up here with the best bets for the weekend in the national uh, or in the National Basketball Association, the NBA, um, March Madness, the College Basketball Tournament, and the NASCAR race at uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway, the Ambetter Health Four Hundred. Okay, starting off with the tournament today, got a couple bets that I really like. Um, the first one is L- uh, Auburn's taking on. University of Auburn's taking on the University of Houston, um, the nine seed versus the one seed in the Midwest region. Um, I love Auburn in this game. Auburn played amazing in their win over the Illini, the Illinois Illini, in the first round, and Houston looked very vulnerable in their first game. Auburn's getting five and a half points, plus five and a half, minus 110 is the best odds that I can find them at. Actually, here's one, plus five and a half, minus 105. So... Plus five and a half, um, anywhere, and anywhere that you can find that five uh, five and a half. If they're catching a five full points, five full and a half a point, <laughs> I guess it would be called. Um, but they'll win, you know, obviously on five or less. Um, I love Auburn in this game. I think that Houston is super vulnerable, like I said, because they're missing some players, 
and they did not look very good in their first game. They got handled by Memphis in um, their conference championship game. Houston just has not looked like the same team. So um, I think that them being the still the second favorite team in the um, uh, national championship market shows and, and kind of solidifies that they're still being overvalued to me by the market. And, and that's not being factored in enough. And Auburn catching five and a half to me is a really good bet. So that's my first full unit in the tournament. My second one is Alabama minus eight um, against Maryland. They take on Maryland on Saturday as well. Um, this one's later at night. You can find them at eight and a half on almost every book, but there is one eight available in Illinois. Um, so I'm taking them at eight minus 110. Um, listen, Auburn's just the best team in college basketball. They've shown it multiple, multiple different games. Um, their best player didn't even score a point in their first game, and they still won super handedly, um, given it was a 16 seed. But at the same time, Maryland's a really good Big Ten team, but I think eight points is not enough for Alabama. I think that um, Alabama hasn't really been respected by the market up until it's getting a lot closer, but I don't think they've been respected by the market. Uh, especially after the public incidents um, happen. I think that that does get factored into where people are putting their money. Um, I don't think it happens a ton, but I think that that does affect their value and and, and how um, the market handles them and how the money that's coming in on them um, reflects reflects them. I think all that matters a lot, and that's why um, Alabama's not a massive favorite against Maryland like they otherwise probably would have been, in, uh, according to me, so... <laughs> um, Alabama minus eight, you know, all in all, they're the best team in college basketball. I think that they're going to have a pretty easy walk until at least the elite eight, um, in their region. Uh, so I love that bet. And then on Sunday, I've got two more or three more bets. Um, the first one is Michigan state, uh, taking on Marquette. Listen, I just talked about Michigan state and how much I like them. And I think 50 to one is ridiculous for them to win the tournament. I think it's a good bet. Um, all that being said, you also heard me say that Marquette is going to be their toughest game, which is who they play on Sunday. Uh, Marquette's a two and a half point favorite. Personally, I don't think that's enough. I don't think Marquette's getting valued enough. Um, I think Marquette being um, second to Duke uh, in the odds for that region is ridiculous. I think Marquette being only a two and a half point favorite in Michigan State, I, I mean, I would make this more of a four, four and a half. Um, I love Marquette in this one. I'm going to give a full unit play on Marquette, minus two and a half. Uh, minus 110, which is pretty much available at every book. Um, and then my third, my second one on Sunday is Creighton um, at even money, plus 100. Uh, they take on Baylor. Baylor's been overvalued almost the whole year. Um, they're a super vulnerable team, terrible defensively. They score a ton of points. Creighton's not really the team that they're going to have the most success against. Um, Creighton's super well-rounded. They're They're super deep. Um, and they do really, really, really good defensively. Uh, so I think Creighton's a really terrible matchup for Baylor. This is a game that I knew I was going to have my eye on coming into the tournament as I had Creighton. I have futures on Creighton. I have Creighton beat, winning this game in every single bracket. Uh, love Creighton at plus 100. I would bet that one all the way down to minus 140. I love Creighton in this game. I think this is super off. I think Baylor is super overvalued. So uh, two-unit play on that one, by the way. Uh, for Creighton plus 100 against Baylor. And then my last one is TCU plus 4.5 against Gonzaga. Gonzaga is another team that I think is really vulnerable. Um, and, you know, Gonzaga can score on anyone, but TCU can keep up with pretty much anyone. Uh, them catching 4.5. I like this all the way to 3, to, to plus 3 for TCU. Um, and, yeah, this is another game that I had, I had TCU beating Gonzaga in every single bracket. Um, I still think Gonzaga is a better team. I don't, I don't think it's, you know, like the Creighton Baylor game, but, um, I, I think it's a lot closer than this. And I think four and a half is a really good number to get TCU, which is also available at every book that I'm looking at. Sorry, excuse me for the burp. So that'd be my last bet on Sunday. So five games for the tournament. Now we'll flip over to the NBA. I have, uh, two bets for Saturday in the NBA and one for Sunday. I will be posting more on Twitter. I have done a really bad job of that this week. This week has been chaotic. This week has been crazy, so I apologize for that. Um, but I am going to be posting these on Twitter, as I always do, at, at Lynchide Cole um, and at Nonstop BS Pod. And actually, this is a good time to interrupt and let you guys know. Um, I'm going to be starting to post all my bets on, my, on the podcast account instead of my personal account. I'll be sharing them on my account. But if you want to flip over and follow the podcast account, 
I'm going to start sharing not only my other bets, but also all the podcast bets on the podcast account. That'll be starting today that I'm going to be doing that. So make sure you're following the podcast on Twitter to get all the bets. If you're watching for the betting content, that's going to be the best place to see all of my bets, um, along with following me on the Action app. If you have the Action app or if you want to download the Action app, um, that's an, another sports betting uh, tracking app that you can follow me on, and I post all my bets on there. That's where I keep track, and it has all my records in all the different sports, all the different leagues, um, from all the history of my betting as well. So if you want to check that out, you can follow me at Cole underscore Lynchide on there as well. Okay, so getting back to the NBA, tomorrow I ha- or today I have the um, a bet in the Heat against the Bulls. Um, I like the Heat here, and I think the spot's really good. The Bulls have won a couple really close games, um, but the Heat have been super hot, and I think that they're still undervalued. Um, I think the Heat came into the season overvalued, and then they were really bad to start the year, but they've been getting really, really hot, and they've been handling a lot of really good teams. They're starting to look like the Heat of last year a lot more, and it's a very similar team to last year, Um, so they they just really didn't have it all going at the beginning of the year, Um, but Jimmy Butler's getting hot. Tyler Hero's playing really good. Uh, Bam Adebayo's been playing good pretty much all season. Um, and I think they match up really well against Chicago. I think Miami's defense is going to be able to um, slow down DeRozan and Zach Levine enough. They match up really well against Chicago, and they play Chicago really well for the most part when they play them. So uh, the Heat, minus three on the road. I love that. And then I'm also going to bet the Celtics, minus four. The Celtics have been cold lately. Uh, I've been losing some money on the Celtics. <laughs> but based on or due to that, and the Jazz being so competitive here, even coming out of the All-Star break, which I did not expect to see, um, the Celtics are undervalued, and they're undervalued because a ton of people have bet the, bet the Jazz in this game. I'm going to go against the grain. I'm going to get the Celtics at what I believe is going to be the floor here, minus four on the road against Utah. Um, I, I just I just think the Celtics are only missing Horford coming into this game. Malcolm Brogdon, when he's been playing, has been playing fantastic for them. Jalen Brown's been on fire, one of the best players in the NBA since the All-Star break. So um, I, I think the Celtics are going to get it back going, and I think that they're going to win this game and uh, start a streak here coming into the playoffs, very similar to what they did last year. Um, my last bet that I have, which is only available at a few books right now, but it's for tomorrow's game, uh, the Raptors play today, uh, and then they play a back-to-back tomorrow in Milwaukee. They match up super well against Milwaukee. And unless they rest a bunch of players, this is one I'm only going to put a half unit on because there could be some resting situations. The NBA is super hard, so I may come back on this. But the Raptors are catching 9.5 on the road in Milwaukee. Um, listen, they they are a team that Milwaukee has had tons of issues with, whether it goes back in the playoffs um, years back to in the regular season this year when Milwaukee had a commanding lead on them and the Raptors had one of the best comebacks um, of the whole NBA season to this point. Uh, I think they were down 17 with like a minute 30 left, and they came back and won. The Raptors play really well against Milwaukee a lot. So catching 9.5, as long as we don't have some multiple significant players out, I love that number. And I think it's going to come down, like I said, unless we have some injuries um, or some sit-outs or whatever. I think it's going to come down to probably seven and a half to six, somewhere between there, um, before the game tomorrow. So catch it, get it right now if you can at, at any of the books that you have available to you. I love the Raptors plus nine and a half in Milwaukee tomorrow. That's going to be a half unit play for now. Okay, moving on to our last bets that I'm going to be giving out in NASCAR. Now qualifying, as I'm speaking to you guys here right now, is taking place. So. Um, I'm more going to give you spots right now that I'm looking at to bet. Um, and then when qualifying is over, there's going to be more bets available. There's going to be matchup bets available. Like I said, follow me on social media, follow me on Twitter, follow me on the action app, wherever you want to, and you'll get my official plays here coming in, coming in later tonight and tomorrow morning in NASCAR in the Ambetter Health 400. Um, but I'm going to tell you my spots that I'm going to be looking at right now, just so you can guys get an, can get an idea and and know the drive, drivers that I'm going to be looking at coming into this race. So Atlanta, the track has changed a lot over the years, and we only have one year and two races of history to really look at what who, who's been successful in, on this Atlanta track. Um, it turned into basically a mini super speedway last year and a totally different uh, strategy um, to, to racing at, at Atlanta. It used to be very similar to like Las Vegas and Charlotte, um, where it was just a lot of like um, you know, you're basically on your own. There wasn't a lot of drafting. There wasn't a lot of, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of wrecks. There wasn't a lot of passing there. It, it was, it was not, 
Um, not a very exciting race, to be honest with you. But they've, like I said, they they changed the banking, they changed the uh, material of the track, and they the it's it's a lot different now. It's almost like watching Daytona and Talladega. Um, but on a smaller track. So super exciting race. I had a lot of fun watching it last year. Definitely a race you're going to want to tune into. A lot of big wrecks, a lot of chaos that went on in these races last year. Um, and a lot more underdogs too to look at in this. So um, Ross Chastain finished second in both races last year at Atlanta. He's been really strong to begin the season. He still sits at 12 to 1 while guys like Kyle Larson, William Byron, and Ryan Blaney are still 9, 10 to 1 in a lot of races. And they are in this one. Uh, Logano is also 10 to 1. Chastain's been really been running better than every single one of those drivers except for William Byron um, to begin the year. And you could argue Kyle Larson as well. But I think Chastain's still getting undervalued. He only has two wins also. So still there's some question with with Ross Chastain um, in, in the public head. Uh, on if, the, if this guy's really... Listen, Ross Chastain is finishing in the top 5 and top 10 more consistently than anybody in NASCAR right now. Um, it looks like he's 12 to one right now. Qualifying could change that. So I'm going to be keeping my eye on Ross Chastain where his odds are, but if he's 12 to one or better, I'm definitely going to have a full unit play on Ross Chastain. Some half unit plays that I'm going to be looking at are Chris Busher, who was also successful here last year. It says he's 25 to one right now. I think that's probably going to change based on qualifying a lot. Um, so I'm going to keep my eye on him. I'm also going to keep my eye on Austin Sindrick. He runs really well at super speedways and these type of races. So um, I'm going to see where his odds are at and, and probably have a bet on him too. Another guy who's really undervalued right now, I think, um, is Martin Truex Jr. And he also has had success in his history um, at Super Speedways. I just think he's still undervalued by the market. And I think that because he didn't make the playoffs last year and kind of struggled, and he's kind of struggled the beginning of this year too, um, I just think his odds are getting kind of out of control. He's still one of the one of the top 10 drivers probably in NASCAR. Um, so I think when he gets his stuff figured out, I, I, I think we might want to, um, be keeping our eye on betting Martin Truex Jr. a little bit more. And then the last one I'm going to be watching is Eric Jones. Eric Jones always is successful, um, in these type of races. So I'll probably be betting him on some matchups and stuff. Um, and then another one, actually, I'm going to be keeping my eye on for matchups is Corey LaJoy. Corey LaJoy ran really well here last year, had a chance to win this race. Uh, and he had a chance to also win at another super speedway last year. Um, he's another one I'm going to be keeping my eye on. Um, okay. Thinking about anybody else that I need to, oh, Brad, Brad Kozlowski. We'll obviously be watching him, but it looks like the market is kind of adjusting to Kozlowski. He's ran really well in every race. Um, I think I did a really good job identifying that before the season, uh, how, how the market was disregarding him. And we've won some bets on Kozlowski, some top tens and stuff. And then we got kind of screwed on another one. Uh, at Las Vegas, where he was in the top 10 the whole race and then had issues right at the end, finished 16th. But, um, you know, he it says it says that he's 18 to 1 right now. Um, that's more appropriate, I feel like, for Keselowski, especially for this track where he struggled a lot last year. So I probably won't be betting him, but that's just another one I wanted to update. Oh, and one last one, Justin Haley. I'll be watching him a lot, too, uh, where his odds go. He ran really well here in both races, finished in the top 10 in both of them last year. Um, and he, you know, he's an up and coming driver that I think is going to kind of pop at some point. Um, he just doesn't have the equipment that most of these other guys do. So I, I, Justin Haley is somebody that I'll probably be watching for matchups. I may even, um, bet a top 10 for him, depending on what the price is. If I can get a top 10 for Justin Haley at better than plus 400, I'll probably bet Justin Haley to, uh, finish in the top 10 in this race. So <clears throat> like I said, keep an eye on my Twitter account. For all of my bets for the race here coming on, or going on later tonight and into tomorrow, I'll probably be betting the Xfinity race um, later on this afternoon as well. So watch me watch on Twitter for that as well. Um, okay, I think that's it for this episode. Thank you guys again for listening. We'll be back on Wednesday morning with another episode, um, and we'll be talking a lot more NFL, um, and we'll also see what happens in this tournament in college basketball and update uh, who the Sweet 16 are and see if we can identify any other really good bets that we want to make um, and just kind of go over what's going on in that tournament as we get into the uh, final teams in the tournament. It's going to get super fun next week. But, okay, um, thank you guys for listening. This has been Nonstop BS. Um, have a good weekend. Have a good Saturday. Watch a lot of sports. Engage with me on Twitter. Um, 
And yeah, overall, just have a have a really good weekend. And we will see you guys on Wednesday. Have a good one. felt like we had a really successful episode and you know we're not really about the saris like any of the catch-ups like where i was what i was doing you know what we did it we moved on and